next door brother Three weekend rows of town By turning the whole place upside down Many awake will cause such a fuss It finally wakes the rest of us One man awakes with dawn in his eyes Surely then it multiplies We're right there, Logan, with the... Uh, is that working? All right. Cool. Well, um, over the uh, last couple of weeks, we've been we've been talking about this idea of responding to the gospel, and, and we're at, at the moment uh, in the midst of our prayer and fasting twenty days, twenty one days of, of prayer and fasting. And if you're uh, been participating in that, I hope you hope you're enjoying it and going well. Um, I've been enjoying it, and it's been going well. <laughs> I've really enjoyed um, just deleting a whole lot of stuff off my phone and uh, realizing how often it distracts me. And now, uh, even actually, in all honesty, some, like I'm realizing that I, I'm playing with the kids way more and I am reading my Bible way more. And, um, and it just goes to show, hey, even though, even though we, sometimes we think we have these things under control, they deceptively seek in and start to control our lives. And they disorientate us, they distract us, they disrupt us, and, and we, need to, uh, we need to take authority back over those things, amen? Yeah. All right, so, so last week we talked about um, responding to the, to the gospel, and, and uh, we talked about the fact that uh, the, the gospel was transformational, but only in our response. So, so the gospel itself isn't transformational, but we are transformed by our response to the gospel. And, and so uh, Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel. And, and the gospel was the good news that Jesus has come, the good, the good news of Jesus. And, and later on this year, we're going to unpack a little bit more what the gospel is. We're, I'm going to give it to you in one word, uh, in three words, and in 30 words. Um, in one word, it's Jesus. The gospel is Jesus. It's the good news that Jesus has come. Um, and in three words, it's Jesus is Lord. And uh, I can't remember the 30 words off the top of my head right now, but we'll unpack that later in the year. So, <laughs> but... But we are, we are transformed by this, 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 the fact that Jesus has come and, he's, and his kingdom has been established. And when the kingdom comes, all things are being restored back to the original identity and purpose. So, so as we respond to the gospel, we are being restored back to our original identity and purpose. And so we talked about the, these four, four things that we can see all through the book of Acts, which is repent, believe, be baptized in water, and receive the Holy Spirit. And last week I gave you the analogy of a, of a baby being born. Jesus said be, that we must be born again. And so we unpacked that, how, how us being born again uh, looks like that. And it's those four things. But I want you to imagine a moment for uh, a four-cylinder car. You know, last week's maybe for the woman, this week for the blokes. Um, a four-cylinder car. Uh, has anyone ever driven a car that's dropped a cylinder? Yeah? Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so what happens when, it, when, it, when you drop a cylinder, all of a sudden one cylinder's not working and you're running on three cylinders, uh, the car runs like absolute rubbish, it uses way more gas and it's totally, like it loses power and, and it's, just, it's just not running right, yeah? And, and so that's what can happen in our Christian walk if we're not actually participating in a full response to the gospel. We're, we're like a car only running on three cylinders. 
And so we're not living the powerful life that we could be living. We may be using a lot, we might be a lot more gassy, I don't know. You know, like, like it's just, we're just not fully alive in Christ. And so it's really important that we not only know what the gospel is, but also what our response to the gospel is. And so this morning, we're going to focus mainly on receiving the Holy Spirit. We looked at the other three last week, and so if you missed that, you can go back and have a listen to that. Um, so here in, here in Acts 2 verse 38, Peter, Peter replied, so this is the first sermon in Acts 2, Peter replied, repent and return to God, each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, and have your sins removed, then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so here we see uh, Peter preaching the gospel, uh, and this is what he's saying that people need to do in response to the gospel. And so we can see those four things um, right there. And so this morning we want to look at who, who is the Holy Spirit? I think for some people there is a lot of confusion and, and even fear about who the Holy Spirit is and what His role is. Um, there has been abuses, there has been misunderstandings, um, but, but you need to know this, that the devil will always try to confuse and disrupt what is really, really important. And, and so I, I, this morning my prayer is, that, that uh, I could unpack this in a way that, that uh, some misunderstandings would become fresh understanding, that some lies would become truth, and, and that instead of running from the Holy Spirit, we would run to Him. And, and so I, I just want to pray right now uh, for that, because I, I believe that, that the enemy will try and, and um, uh, confuse us around this topic, and so I want to um, unpack this. So let's pray. Why don't you just put your hands on your, on your face somewhere? Eyes, ears, or head, yeah? God, we just, we just thank you that all authority has been given to Jesus. And so that means that the enemy has none. So right now, we just want to break uh, any power that has been given to the enemy uh, over, over the idea and understanding of who the Holy Spirit is and what his role is in our life. Right now, we, we just pray for blind eyes to be opened, deaf ears to be opened, so that they can hear clearly what you're saying this morning, so that we can see clearly what you are doing amongst us through the works of your Spirit. And I pray that that minds would be transformed, that our, our minds would be re renewed. I pray at the end of this message this morning that, that, uh, that we would respond to, this, to the gospel by saying, I need to change my mind about this. I need to turn and think differently. And so, so we just take authority right now and we just break every lie in the name of Jesus, and we speak truth right now that leads into freedom in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. 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 So, so in, our, in our Bibles, we, we get uh, the, the words Holy Spirit or, and sometimes Holy Ghost. If you've got like a King James Version, you're going to get Holy Ghost. Um, now, even that can be a little bit, you know, confusing. Well, well is this like a, a floaty spirit thing or... Like, is he like a ghost? Is he like Casper? Um, you know, like, who, who, what, what is this trying to describe for us? And, and so that's what we get in our English Bibles. Um, but in, in, the, uh, in the, Jewish, uh, the Jewish word is ruach. Ruach, which just sounds really meaty and cool, eh? Ruach. And, and in the Greek, it's the word pneuma. And, and so these words literally mean this. They literally mean breath. They mean breath. And so what, who is the Holy Spirit? He is the fresh breath of God. He is the fresh breath of God in our lungs. He, he's the mighty blowing wind 
of his power. He, he is the wind in our sails. He's the fresh breath of God into our lives. And I, I, I want to get this really clear for us this morning, that the normal Christian life is not one of striving. I want you to imagine for a moment that, that our normal Christian life is not like being in a rowboat where we're, where we're trying to row, like trying to catch up to Jesus, trying to do all the right things, trying to be a good Christian and trying to do this and trying to do that and we're, we're rowing our boat. No, no, the, the normal Christian life is to, is to raise the sail and let the fresh breath of God come into our sails and lead us and guide us into, into life. Come on, that, this is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Come on, we need to get this clear. We need to understand what his role is in our lives. Come on, believe me that, that we go from, from a whole lot of, of stress and fear and anxiety and striving into, into the freshness of God through, through the Holy Spirit. Like, my, my prayer is that you would get to know him. Come on, it, it, he, he is not a force. This is not Star Wars. Come on, he... He is the person of God. Like he is, he is one of the Trinity. He is, he is God. He is God with us right now in the very present. And I want you to imagine for a moment uh, that we talked last week about repentance and belief as the response to the gospel. I mean, you might be saying this morning, Michael, that's really cool, um, but I don't even know if I've got a sail in my life, in my boat. Um, how do I get my sail up? I would like to suggest to you that our response to the gospel is how we raise the sail. In Acts 2.38, repent, return to God. Each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold of the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so last week I talked about the fact that, that repentance is, is not that you've been a naughty person or, or you're bad. Think about it like this. Is repentance is, is changing our thinking, not our actions. Right? Repentance is changing our thinking, not our actions, because our behavior is always the echo of belief. Right? So I'm heading this way, and I'm behaving a certain way that I, I maybe know is not right, or it's not conducive to actually following Jesus. And, and I, so I don't try in my own effort to try and turn this boat and row back the other way. I make a decision in my mind, I need to turn. And, and the understanding is this, that when we decide to turn, we will be turned. That, that when we decide to turn is when the Holy Spirit says, I'm on that. Yeah? And so we turn, and as we repent and believe and put our trust in Jesus, like we go, man, I don't even know how I'm going to do that or get this way, or I don't even know why I'm going this way, but Jesus seems to be leading me this way. And so we put our trust and faith and belief in Him, our allegiance to Him. Um, the sail starts to go up. Well, now the fresh breath of God is catching our sails as we respond to the gospel and the Spirit of God is becoming alive in our hearts. Come on, and, and this, is, this is what it looks like to follow Jesus and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to follow Jesus because no, no one can call Jesus Lord but by the Holy Spirit. So, so to try and follow Jesus without the Holy Spirit, guess what? You are in a, you're up a creek without a paddle. Come on, like... You're like trying to do it with your hands if you ain't got the Holy Spirit. Like, you need the Holy Spirit. And if we're going to follow Jesus, we need Him more than anything else. Galatians 5 is this great passage about life with wind in your sails. Galatians 5. And if you've been following the fast and if you read the booklet, you'll see that I've encouraged you to read Galatians 5 every day. Just to read it. I've been reading it in different versions every day. And it's been amazing 
just seeing all the different versions and, and how I'm seeing new things, and, it, and it's just really cool. But Galatians 5 is this, this great passage about, about life with wind in your sails. And, and Galatians 5 verse 1, it says, Let me be clear, the anointed one has set us free. Come on, you have been set free, not partially, not just a little bit, but completely and wonderfully free. We must always cherish this truth and stubbornly refuse to go back into the bondage of our past. Come on, we have been baptized, our past is gone, we have stepped into new life. Don't go back. It's lifeless. Come on, it's dead. God, God is not relating to your old man anymore. He's not into necromancy. Come on, he's speaking to your new man, the new creation that you are in Christ. Let's not go back. Galatians 5.13, I love this. Freedom means, come on, we need a good description of what freedom means. Freedom means that we become so completely free of self-indulgence that we become servants of one another, expressing love in all we do. I would like to suggest to you that the litmus test for freedom is are you able to serve others without an agenda and without manipulation, just truly freely serve others? That is the litmus test for freedom. Come on, do, do, we see free, like, do we serve others so that we can one day uh, uh, get back, you know, what, you know, like we sort of pay, you know, put it in the bank. You know, I'm going to serve someone and then I'm going to draw back on that when I need something back. No, no, we serve people without agenda. No, no, if we are serving others so that, so that people can see us, guess what? We are actually manipulating people to meet a need in our life. No, no, so we serve others, not so others can see us, not so that we can get any notoriety or acceptance. No, true freedom means that we serve the same when no one's looking as when people are looking. That's true freedom. Robert Greenleaf, who, who uh, does a lot of stuff on leadership, he, he describes um, uh, true kingdom leadership as, as servanthood. And, and he says this, if our nature is like Jesus as a leader then we will always have the nature of a servant. But sometimes we can see serving as a way to the top. So you see, ser serving is not a function of leadership. Servanthood is leadership. And, and so he says we've got to, we've got to understand that, that servanthood is not a function. We don't serve because we should because we're Christians. No, we serve because Jesus is in us and his nature has taken residence in our lives and now it has become our nature to serve one another. This is how I know that I've stepped into freedom. Is that good? I love this. Galatians 5, 16, 17. As you yield, you need to read Galatians 5 this week if you haven't been reading it, my goodness. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit, you will abandon the cravings of your self-life for your self-life craves the things that offend the Holy Spirit and hinder him from living free within you. And the Holy Spirit's intense cravings hinder your old self life from dominating you. So the more that we have the Holy Spirit, the more that, that, that our old self, the, the one that seeks selfish desire, the one that seeks self-indulgence, uh, the Holy Spirit just overpowers that. And it, it's, it just ceases to have power over us anymore. But I, why, why do I love this passage so much? I, I, love, I love that it starts with this. As you yield freely and fully to the dynamic life and power of the Holy Spirit. As you yield. Now this word, yield, means to surrender or admit defeat. It means to admit defeat. Now listen to this. You, you need to hear this. Like this is key. The, the kingdom is honestly upside down. 
It is upside down to the natural way of thinking. So the title of this passage is this, Holy Spirit, Our Victory. Holy Spirit, Our Victory. And then the first verse says, as you admit defeat. (laughs) The Holy Spirit, Our Victory, as you admit defeat. Come on, how do we get victory in Jesus? We admit defeat that we can't get it on our own. Only when we yield to the Holy Spirit, when we, when we finally get to the end of ourselves and stop trying to row that boat up, this, up the creek, that we, and we admit that we can't do this on our own, and we need a helper, we yield to the power of the Holy Spirit, and we start to walk in the victory that He has paid for. So as you admit defeat, as you, as, come on, this is it. One of the primary hindrances to receiving the Holy Spirit the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I believe, is, is fear, which manifests as control. See, being filled with the Spirit and submitting to the leadership of the Spirit is actually to relinquish our control. It's to say, I, I'm no good at controlling my life. I, I need you, Holy Spirit, to lead me, to guide me. See, when we admit defeat, we're saying we, we're relinquishing control. We're giving up trying through striving and effort. And see, the opposite of faith is not doubt. Well, we've, we've run over this one a few times. The opposite of faith is not doubt. It's, I believe it's control. Now, if, if we are to think about the, the idea that faith, I, I think uh, when we think about faith, we're better maybe to think about faithfulness. Faith is not something that you... you work up within you, faith is allegiance to Jesus. So, so faith is, is um, loyal obedience to Jesus. Now, if I am trying to control my life and Jesus says, go this way, come on, I, I'm not going to go that way because I'm, I'm too fearful that if I relinquish control, then I'll be out of control. But, but who knows that to be in control, like for Jesus to be in control of our lives, we have to be out of control. Like freedom is out of control. Have you ever thought about that? True freedom is out of control. We're, we're not controlled by others. We're not controlled by what they think about us. We're not controlled by, by what they do to us. Come on, it's out of control. It's, but it's in His control. We're, we're, we've given up trying to control our own lives and relinquished it to the one who knows how life works best. So control is the opposite of trust. It's turning away from being from self-sustaining to being sustained in Him. So who knows that when we turn, when we make our decision to turn, He will turn us. It's beautiful, isn't it? And at the end of Galatians, it says, and this will be what your life looks like. But the fruit of the Spirit produces, sorry, but the fruit produced by the Holy Spirit within you is divine love and all its varied expressions. Joy that overflows, peace that subdues, patience that endures, kindness in action, a life full of virtue, faith that prevails, gentleness of heart, and strength of spirit. Who doesn't want that? Come on, so we relinquish control to the Holy Spirit, and He produces this in our lives. It's beautiful. Isn't it it great how God sets things up? I love at the end of that passage, it says, against 
these things, there is no law. And I, I was thinking about this this week as I, as I read it, and I realized that's so true. There, there, is, there is no law that can outlaw the kingdom of heaven. Because this is the fruit of the kingdom of heaven. There is not a law in any land. You look around the world, there is not one law that can outlaw joy in your heart. There is not one law that can outlaw peace in your heart. Come on, because the kingdom of heaven is within you. No law can outlaw this. It doesn't matter what the government policies, doesn't matter what they are doing. The kingdom of heaven cannot be contained. Come on. Come on, somebody. Yeah, he's building his church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Why? Because it's happening on the inside of people. Oh, isn't it beautiful? There is no law that can outlaw the fruits of the Spirit in your life. No one can stop you. <laughs> beautiful, eh? All right, if we're going to talk about... We have to talk about Pentecost. And Pentecost was a, a, a jealous, a Jewish celebration mixing those two words together, it was a Jewish celebra- celebration or a, or a feast. It was 50, day, 50 days after um, Passover. So, so Jesus was our Passover lamb. 50 days later was Pentecost. Um, and uh, like if you look, um, oh, there's heaps of parallels in Acts 2, and we're going to look at a couple of them. So, so remember this. Jesus said, repent and believe the gospel the good news is that Jesus is king. He's restoring all things back to their original identity and purpose. You look through that book of Acts, Acts 2 especially, you see that Jesus is undoing things that went wrong in the Old Testament. There are these parallels, and it's really cool. We're going to have a look at a couple of them. Um, this week, I, I had the opportunity to be on a webinar with a Messianic rabbi, and uh, how it was, it was unpacked the parallel between the Old and New Testament and it's just incredible. Um, and it was really cool because um, some of the stuff he talked about I've been looking into for this morning. And I was like, I already knew that. It was really cool. <laughs> um, so let's have, a, let's have a look. I just need to set this up first. So when we're talking about Pentecost, the coming of the Holy Spirit. Uh, at the end of John, uh, Jesus is with his disciples for, for the last time. He says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. All right, so, so we know that, that the same mission that Jesus came here for, we are now sent on that mission. Um, and when he, had, when he had said this, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And, and so I, I believe this to be the, the first time that, that uh, New Testament believers uh, had received uh, salvation. That they had seen the risen Christ, he had risen, rose again, and Jesus um, breathed on them, received the Holy Spirit. Um, but we know that there is still more. Uh, because he says to them, I'm going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. All right, so there's still more to come. And this is what happened on Pentecost. And so I would like to suggest this, that when we first turn towards Jesus and put our trust in him, we receive the Spirit. We are, we are sealed for salvation. But there is more. Um, that the Bible continually uses these descriptions of baptism when, when, they, when it talks about the Holy Spirit. And so think about it like this. If you've got a glass of water uh, or an empty glass, when we, when we um, come to know Jesus and we put our, our faith and trust in Him for the first time, it's like our glass is filled with water. And the Spirit, we receive the Spirit into our lives. Now, when we are baptized in the Holy Spirit, it's like taking that glass and throwing it in a swimming pool. We are completely immersed 
and completely surrounded and covered and overflowing with the Spirit of God. And so I knew this uh, as a, a young Christian, um, not, not necessarily by the fact that I had read the Bible and knew it in the Bible, but I, I came back to God when I was about 18, and I was following Jesus, but I wasn't doing a very good job of it. I was, I was trying real hard, though. I was, there were all sorts of things that I was like, I was trying to be a really good Christian, but I, I had discovered that Jesus was real and that he was alive and he had come alive in my heart, but, but I just knew there was more. Has anyone else had that kind of feeling? Like you, you, you know, you're following Jesus, but you just know there's more. That there's there's got to be more to this. Like I was, I was wasn't feeling powerful, like like I should be, and I, I was struggling with sin, like I shouldn't be. And you know, do you know what I mean? Even though I was trying really hard, I, I just couldn't, I just couldn't get anywhere. Anyway, I I went to uh, a lot of you know my, this story, but uh, I went to one camp. Everyone was getting filled with the spirit. I didn't. Got angry at God. Wait, your time's coming. Went to another catch, and he told me just wait. Just wait, your time's coming. Went to another camp. Uh, don't even remember what was preached, anything. Went up, got totally baptized in the Holy Spirit. Cried my eyes out for an hour and a half on the floor. And got up a different person. And so, so I, I knew there was more, and I went after the more. And I was seeking him and going, going after him. And, I, and I, I discovered the fullness of the Spirit of God in my life. And I'm sure that there are others that can testify to the same sort of story. Um, and, and so I got up a different person. That, that is my story of being baptized in the Holy Spirit. And thank God that I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit many times since. Because this is a continual outpouring of the Spirit. Amen. Come on, it wasn't just a tap that turned on once and turned off again. Come on, yeah? You, you look in Acts, Acts 2, they get baptized in the Holy Spirit. We're going to look real soon at that. Uh, Acts 4, I'm jumping ahead, it's all right. Uh, Acts 4 that they face persecution for the first time. They're going, oh my goodness, what's happening? What do they do? They go back to the upper room. Well, let's go back to the place where we got filled with power and filled with courage because we're facing persecution. We don't know what to do. They go back to the upper room and, what, and it says they got filled again. Come on, if you're struggling in your walk with God, don't keep trying to strive. Go back to the place where you got filled and go there again and go, I need to be filled again. Come on, I need the Spirit of God again. I need to be refreshed. I need the wind in my sails again. Come on, change your thinking and go back. Turn back to God and be filled again. It's really good. Yeah. <laughs> all right, Acts 2. Let me just read part of this and then we'll, um, I don't even know if we're going to finish today. That's all right. On the day uh, Pentecost was being fulfilled, so this is Acts 2, all the disciples were gathered in one place. All right, so, so listen, I'll just chuck one thing in here real quickly. All the disciples were gathered in one place, all right? So they're, they're together physically, geographically, physically they're in one place. Acts 4, after they're filled with the Spirit, it then says that they're all together with one heart and one mind. Come on, who, who brings unity in the church? Not our striving, not us trying to get along better. Actually, the Spirit of God brings unity in the church. Come on, we go from being together in one place physically to being together of one heart and one mind. Suddenly they heard a, a, the sound of a violent blast of wind rushing into the house. From out of the heavenly realm, the roar of the wind was so overpowering it was all anyone could bear. 
I, I, I can understand that. Then, then all at once a pillar of fire appeared before their eyes, and it separated into tongues of fire that engulfed each one of them, and they were all filled and equipped with the Holy Spirit and were inspired to speak in tongues, empowered by the Spirit to speak in languages they had never learned. All right, so, so here's the first parallel. The footnote in my Bible says this. This was the pillar of fire that led Israel from bondage into the promised land. The same pillar of fire manifested here to initiate a new beginning from dead religious structures into a powerful life of the Spirit. Each believer received an over, overpowering flame of fire signified by the shaft light that engulfed them. Come on, so the, the pillar of fire that was once leading the Israelites in the desert and, and, and now, now signifies that actually that the Spirit of God is not just leading everyone corporately, but actually is individual. Come on, that the Spirit of God is for each individual. This is not just about one man leading something. This is not just about me. This church is not just about me and the Spirit of God that's on me. No, no, this is the Spirit of God that's in you. It's the same Holy Spirit that's in me, that's in you, that's in any evangelist or preacher that you watch on TV. The same Holy Spirit. Verse 5. Now at that time there were Jewish worshippers who had immigrated from many different lands to live in Jerusalem. When the people of the city heard the roaring crowds, crowds came running to where it was coming from, stunned over what was happening because each one hears all Galileans. So how is it that we, are he- that we hear them speaking in our own languages? We are northeastern Iranians, northwestern Iranians, Elamites, and those from Mesopotamia, Ju- Judea, east central Turkey, and all coastal areas of the Black Sea, Asia, north central Turkey, southern Turkey, Egypt, Libyans, who are neighbors of the Cyrene, visitors from all over the Roman Empire, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, yet we hear them speaking of God's mighty wonders in our own dialects. They all stood there dumbfounded and astonished, saying to one another, what is this phenomenon? But others poked fun at them and said, they're just drunk on new wine. Anyone see a parallel in there? Anyone remember a time when People were scattered in different languages. The Tower of Babel, God is undoing the disaster that happened there and bringing the nations back together. Come on, isn't God good? We start to see Jesus is restoring all things back to their identity and purpose. And guess what? He wants to do it in you. But he's restoring you back to your original identity and purpose. This is what it means to follow Jesus. Come on, we, we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. So Peter jumps up and he preaches the very first sermon. And remember, this is the same Peter that just 50 days ago was denying Jesus, saying, oh, I don't even know, I don't know that guy, I don't want to be associated with him. 50 days later, he is filled with power and courage and boldness and stands up and preaches in front of thousands of people. And it says that 3,000 people were saved. 3,000 people were saved on the day of Pentecost, which is what? The celebration of the law and the Torah being given. And how many people died when the law and the Torah was given? 3,000 people. Jesus is restoring all things back to the original identity and purpose. And, and now this day, 3,000 people get saved. It's good. <laughs> So Peter's sermon is summed up like this. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed him. God raised him. And that's pretty much the the gospel message that you see through the book of Acts. Jesus is the Messiah. You killed him. God raised him. 
And this is, this is the next verse. The crowd responds to Peter's words. When they heard this, they were crushed and realized what they had done to Jesus. Deeply moved, they said to Peter and, and the other apostles, what do we need to do, brothers? And Peter replied, respond to the gospel. Repent, return to God. Each one of you must be baptized in the name of Jesus, the anointed one, to have your sins removed. Then you may take hold the gift of the Holy Spirit. What must we do? Respond to the gospel. This is what we do as followers of Jesus. So why do we need the Spirit? Why do we need the Holy Spirit? Let me, I'm, I'm just going to um, flick through some of this stuff quite quickly and then we'll, um, then we'll bring it to a close. So, so why, why do we need the Holy Spirit? We need the Holy Spirit to faithfully follow Jesus. Without the Holy Spirit, you're trying to follow Jesus, you are up a creek without a paddle. Well, the opposite of, of following Jesus without the Holy Spirit is striving, and, and we just slip into apathy. Well, we, we need the Holy Spirit to live righteously. Uh, the opposite is striving again, you know, trying to live right when, when, without understanding that Jesus has made us right. Come on, righteousness means right in being, that He has already done it. He has already done it. This is not about us trying to be good Christians. This is about the fact that Jesus has made us right from the inside out, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to outwork that and outlive that in your everyday life. When if we don't have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do this, we, we will get into flesh every day, trying to be a good Christian. Number three, to live supernaturally. Come on, the, the Holy Spirit empowers us to live an abnormal life, a supernatural life. The opposite of that is to be, have a powerless demonstration. I don't want a powerless demonstration. And the fourth thing is there, to empower, uh, empower us to live on mission. And the opposite to that is a purposeless faith. If we are not engaging in the mission of God, we are not engaging with the purpose from which you have been created. And, and we, we need the Holy Spirit. The, the gifts of the Spirit are given to you for the purpose that you have been created. So the Holy Spirit empowers us to be a witness to the King. So we are ambassadors, uh, 2 Corinthians 15, I think that's the right passage, that we are ambassadors of the King, uh, that we become both models and agents. And I've talked about that before, but we'll, we'll unpack this a bit more this year. We, we are models when we model the fruit of the Spirit and, and our love for one another, the way that we serve one another. Um, and we are agents of the kingdom when we, when we move in the gifts of the Spirit. We are demonstrating that the King has come and the kingdom is here and people were being healed, delivered, and uh, prophecy, words of knowledge. That's when we're becoming agents of the kingdom. In 1 Thessalonians um, 1 verse 5 to 6, it says, Because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for our sake. You became imitators of us and of the Lord, and for you... For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so um, Paul is saying here in 1 Thessalonians, he's saying uh, that the gospel came with, with not just words, but with power. The kingdom of heaven is not just a matter of speech, but a matter of power. So the gospel came in power, so it was demonstrated. And then he said, you observed how we lived. You observed that we modeled the kingdom. And so we, we are both models and agents of the kingdom, and, and we can see that demonstrated throughout 
the, the scriptures. Um, I'm, I'm going to skip past this because we'll look at this more later. All right. We're doing okay? Doing good? All right. Let's look at the work of the Spirit, and then we're going to pray. All right. So the work of the Spirit, first of all, is, is God's love. So these are the things that, that you need to know. You need to have these settled in your heart, and these can only happen through the Holy Spirit, all right? So, so the revelation of God's love for you comes through the Holy Spirit. In Romans 5 verse 5, it says, God has poured out His love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom He has given us, all right? So, so we need the Holy Spirit for God's love to be revealed and, 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 and unleashed into us. God's guarantee that He really will... Forgiveness and acceptance. The Holy Spirit's presence within us is God's guarantee that He really will give us all He promised. And the Spirit's seal upon us means that God has already purchased us and that He guarantees to bring us to Himself. That's Ephesians 1 verse 14. Father and family, that, that we know that we belong. I mean, that, that we are part of a family. This comes through the Holy Spirit. Because you are ears. God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts who calls out Abba, Father, Daddy, Daddy. Come on, be, by the Holy Spirit, we're able to call out Daddy, Daddy. Jesus in us, 1 John 4, verse 13, and He has put His own Holy Spirit into our hearts as a proof to us that we are living with Him and He with us. The Holy Spirit confirms that in our hearts. God's speaking to us. When the Holy Spirit, who is truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, John 16, verse 13. God will speak to you. He'll speak clearly to you, and you'll, you'll, you'll hear his voice. Come on, the, the sheep know the shepherd's voice. The Holy Spirit will, will speak to you and guide you and lead you, and lead you into truth. Uh, the power to witness. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses, Acts 1 verse 8. And a place in the body. Each of us is part of the body of Christ. The Holy Spirit has fitted us all together in one body, and we have been baptized into Christ's body in the one spirit, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 13. So, so listen, listen here. The, the, the upshot is this. All this stuff here, it, it, we can't have that or know it or have the revelation of it without the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit. Right, the, the, without the Holy Spirit, we, we do not know what it means to be alive in Christ. And we might see it in other people when we go, we want it. I, I, I wish I had that. And, and we might get ourselves into a mode of trying to row our boat to get it. Let the fresh breath of God come into our lives. Um, when, um, if, you look, if you look through the book of Acts you'll see that consistently the apostles were looking for these four things in every believer's life. Um, when persecution came on the early church, it says that, um, that the church scattered all throughout, um, well, all throughout the world, basically. Um, they all spread out. The, the apostles actually stayed in Jerusalem. So they scattered. So, so hear this. The gospel spread just through everyday Christians, empowered by the Holy Spirit, Signs, wonders, miracles, people being saved, baptized, filled with the Spirit, not by the apostles. What would happen is the apostles would hear that revival had broken out, say in, in, in Ephesus. Revival was broken out in Ephesus. The apostles turn up there, and, and you can read this in, I think, Acts 19. They, they turn up, and they say, 
oh, you guys haven't been filled with the Spirit. And they go, oh, we didn't know there was this Spirit. And so then they prayed for them to receive the Holy Spirit. Right? So, so everywhere they were going, they were looking for the evidence that people were responding to the gospel. And if they hadn't responded to the gospel, either through ignorance or unbelief, they would, what they would um, lead them to respond to the gospel. And so for them, in Ephesus, it was ignorance. They just didn't know. And so they were filled with the Spirit and instantly started to speak in tongues and prophesy. So, so here's the point. You, you will know that you have received the Spirit. You will know if you, if you have received the Spirit. Now, I, I want to be really, really careful here um, that you, you might say, I'm not sure if I've received the Holy Spirit. That's, that's okay. All right? I am not saying that you are a second-class Christian, because you are not. You are just as loved, and you belong just as much as everybody else. All right? Please hear me really clear on that. Um, because we can get into that mode. Some people get into that mode, oh, I'm filled with the Spirit and you're not. Listen to this, all right? Chris Hodges has this great quote. It goes like this. Being filled with the Holy Spirit does not make me better than you. Being filled with the Holy Spirit makes me better than me. Yeah? This is not about comparing ourselves to one another. This is about the fact that I want to be the best me that I can be for Jesus, and I need the Holy Spirit to do that. And so, so if you have not received the Holy Spirit, uh, we want to create space for that. And, and in a couple of Sundays especially, we're really going to create space for that. But even after the service today, I'd love to pray for you. But, but re- remember, it's about responding to the gospel first. Yeah, responding to the gospel first, faith and repentance. And so you can see that, the, um, that it's, it's quite clear that others will know as well. Um, you can see that all through the book of Acts. As soon as they turned up, they could spot when people hadn't received the Spirit. So what, how do we know that? Because there is clear evidence. And what is the evidence that you've received the Spirit? So, so Peter refers to uh, what I would say is what you hear and see. All right? So there will be an obvious overflow. You will see it and hear it in someone. An obvious overflow through a mouth of spontaneous spiritual speech. And this may be in the form of tongues, which is in Acts 10. Praise, which is also in Acts 10, prophecy, Acts 19, a crying out, Romans 8, or singing and thanksgiving, Ephesians 5. All right, so, so what I'm saying here is that uh, speaking in tongues is one of the evidences of being filled with the Spirit. It is not the primary evidence, and it is not the only evidence. What is an evidence is an overflowing of the heart. Right, something bubbling up on the inside of you that you can't contain. Like being filled with the Spirit is why this uh, introverted person yells out all the time while we're singing. Right? That's because normally I'm an introverted person. I'm, I'm reasonably shy and quiet. But, but when it comes to praising God, I can't stop in me. And, and do you know what I mean? Like, why? Because it's not me, it's God's Spirit within me. And, and, and you know, God said that He's placed His Spirit within us and that He's jealous for His Spirit. And so there's this like, like there's something in me that can't stop praising Him. And it's His Spirit in me. And so, so this is what it means, that there is an evidence that like it's, it's I'm out of control a little bit. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'm a little bit out of control. <laughs> Embrace it, yeah. Uh, all right. Um, the team can come um, and we'll, we'll finish. finish. I just want to finish with this verse again. But I promise you this, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power. 
Come on, this is Jesus. I, I promise you this. I promise you this. The Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will be filled with power and you will be my messengers. Some, some versions say be my witnesses to Jerusalem, throughout Judea, the distant provinces, and even to the remotest places on the earth. Come on, where do we live? <laughs> we live in the remotest place on the earth from where that was said. Come on, the, the same Holy Spirit who was present on the day of Pentecost is present today. And, and he, he is not scary. I'm not going to say that he's safe, <laughs> but he's good, yeah. He's our comforter. Well, scripture says he's our comforter, comforter, which I presume means that he expected us to be a little bit uncomfortable. But he's good. And he will empower you. And your life will be turned upside down in the most brilliant of ways. Come on, why don't you stand with me this morning? I'm just going to pray over us. Uh, and um, so let's put our hands out like this, like you're holding a box, a beautiful gift. Imagine you've got a gift in your hands. And I love this position because it reminds me that my job is to receive, not achieve. Just receive. Receive, not achieve. I'm going to pray, and the music team are going to... Um, Lead us in a song soon, and if you need to go, you can go, but we just want to create some space. They're going to sing over you, and if you want to come up the front and receive prayer, you can do that. Um, before we do that, Sarah will just come and give us the last couple of notices, and then we'll get into the song, but let me pray. Father, we just thank you that you said you would not leave us as orphans, but you would give us your spirit. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that, that you are here, that you are the promised gift. And I thank you that, that you do so many things in our lives, the, the many, many things that we cannot do in our own effort. I thank you that you are our seal in our hearts for salvation, that, that, that you, you bring the Father's love into our hearts so that we don't feel orphaned anymore, but we are enfolded into your family. Holy Spirit, I thank you that you empower us for the mission. I thank you that you empower us for the mission. I thank you that you bring boldness and courage into our hearts. And I thank you that that is not through any effort of our own that we just receive. So Holy Spirit, we take up the position of receiving this morning in the physical as we believe that we will receive in the spiritual. I just encourage you now, just take a deep breath. Breathe in the Spirit. Just breathe them in. <laughs>